Hey, it's Jackie from The Sirens. We have a great episode for you here in a second. But before we get to that, we want to take a moment for the ending of one of our favorite podcasts, Ghosts in the Burbs. Liz has given us some incredible stories over the years, and we thank her for all of the chills and thrills along the way. You can still find all of the stories on the Ghosts in the Burbs page, along with a final installment. If you haven't listened to it before, or haven't in a while, we'd very much recommend starting from the beginning to lead up to the dramatic ending. I know I will be. And then for some behind-the-scenes info on what goes on there, come back over to The Sirens and check out our interview with Liz Sauer, episode 45. Thank you for the scares and the laughs, Liz. We can't wait to see what you write next. Welcome to the 69th episode of The Sirens of Scream, the podcast that proves sometimes dead is better. I am Sierra Hauk, and I'm joined by my lovely siren companions, Jackie and Melissa. Hello. Hello. Good evening, everybody. We are um, planning on doing a couple of short little episodes and fun things throughout October because we have to celebrate the best month of the year. Obviously. Obviously. And so tonight we just want to share a couple of spooky stories with you all. I mostly want to use it as a little show and tell, if that's okay with you guys. I love your mug. (laughs) Thank you. My tiki uh, mug from Trader Sam's. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I was looking through all of my books to see if there was a good like short stories book that wouldn't be super long. Um, And I came across this book, which is Deep Dark Fears by Fran Cruz. And he has an Instagram where he posts his art. And these are like little comics um, of Deep Dark Fears. And they're super gruesome and wonderful. So I wanted to show you guys some. Fear number five. When I go bowling, I worry that my fingers will get stuck in the ball. And the weight of the ball will rip them off. And I won't even knock over any pins. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Fear number 18. I worry that I'll fall and bite off my tongue. And when I call 911, they won't be able to understand me. (laughs) (laughs) These illustrations are so gross, but also like very cute, which is like the best combination. This one, this one hit me. Fear number 31, when my dogs want to come inside, I need to check the whole house looking for my dogs in case the ones outside are shapeshifters. What? (laughs) There's a lot of um, doppelganger themes in this book. Fear number 36, I fear that in the middle of surgery, the power will go out for a long time. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible things you never thought about. This one's also very good. Fear number 44. It gets really icy in Brooklyn. I worry I'll slip and gouge my eyes on a wrought iron fence, and it'll be too slippery to free myself. Oh, God. Oh, God. That is, like, genuinely one of my worst fears. (laughs) Yeah, that one was just for you, Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) 
which wasn't didn't that happen in daredevil in the first season oh no did it somebody got their head like smashed if so i have blocked it out of my brain (laughs) i must i don't know if it was daredevil for sure but i think some i just have a very vivid memory of a guy being like well it's over like something now the bad guy knows that whatever we did something so i'm already dead so he just like did that to himself. Oh, fuck. Oh, God. To, like, commit suicide, no. which is like, oof, doofa. Oh, no. Um, fear number 46. I live alone. When I have to go to the bathroom late at night, I worry that when I go back to bed, someone will be waiting there. I worry that, too. I know. There is a mirror in my bedroom. I worry that while I sleep, my reflection sits up and watches me. No. But look at that. Oh, it's so spooky. That's why there are shockingly few mirrors in my house. (laughs) This is another mirror one. When I'm looking into a mirror, I worry that something's behind me, and it's the same size as me, and it moves along with me. So I never see it, but it's always there. Maybe if they move fast enough, they can catch a glimpse of it. Right? This one is especially good for the illustration. I'm afraid of the thing under my bed, but there is only a thin space. So I'm afraid of the flat man beneath my bed. Ooh. <laughs> that, that reminds me of Harrow County and the, the skin. Right? The skin. <laughs> yeah. It also feels like something that would be in over the garden wall to me with the big weird e- eyes. Yeah, totally. The last one I'll share. Fear number 85. I have a deal worked out with a thing that hides in my basement. After I shut off the lights, I have exactly 10 seconds to leave safely. I always use the full 10 seconds, hoping to see a flash of movement just as I reach safety. So, yes, I absolutely love this book. And you guys should at least, at the very least, be following him on Instagram. The artist is Fran Cruz, K-R-A-U-S-E. And it's Deep Dark Fears. I hope he has another book coming out. Um, This is 101 Comics. um, And he has people, like, contribute fears. And then he illustrates them. That's fun. And it's so good. Yeah, I saw one of his recently that I cannot stop thinking about, uh, which was that uh, when an eyelash gets loose and you you blink it, you try to blink it out and it goes behind your eyeball and they just collect back there. Oh, a little pile. <sighs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's nothing cute about that, Sierra. No. <laughs> it's bad. It's just a little pile. Oh. Uh, there I have another little book here that I wanted to share called Odd Noises in Empty Rooms, which is a little zine by one of my favorite um, artists, uh, Trevor Henderson. Ooh, I love Trevor Henderson. I know. He does a lot of um, cryptid drawings and ghost drawings, and he does a, like, I think an ongoing series of, um, like, found footage kind of stills or, like, Little little glimpses and stories of like a photograph or something with with a, a monster or a creature, and he takes like real photos and then draws on them digitally to put the little monsters in there. Um, and he comes up with some really cool creatures. A lot of them look a little too real. <laughs> I know he does a really good job blending the like using the darkness to kind of like mask it just a little bit, so it really blends in super well. Um, So I wanted to read a couple of this. This is a collection of ghost stories and ghosts that he's drawn. So for this ghost. It's said that if you go to the remains of the old church on the outskirts of town and you see a burning candle, you can see it. 
Don't make any noise. Don't even look it in the eyes and ignore everything it says to you. Make it until dawn and you get to go home. You get what you came for, your wish. But if you don't make it out, if your candle goes out, you're gone. Uh Uh-oh. It was there when she moved her supplies in, standing in the corner of the studio space like a centile. Was it supposed to be a mannequin or maybe a piece of impressionist art? After a couple weeks, she almost liked the damn thing. So what if she'd come in to find her stuff rearranged and her favorite brush missing? She liked the company. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. They're so creepy. I love them. This guy's creepy, Jackie. He's super (laughs) creepy. What is he smiling about? (laughs) He had found the old ring, faded with age, sitting in the gutter outside his building. Ever since he slipped it on his finger, he had felt as if he was being watched. Every once in a while, he'd catch a glimpse of white out of the corner of his eye and the sound of laughing, as if from a great distance away, always following behind him. First of all, that one's really good. This guy. Ew. (laughs) I know, he's gross. Mr. Bendy Neck. He reminds me of the bent neck lady. Yeah. It was an infamous accident that doubled as a cruel joke. Someone burning to death at a place named Camp Cinder was too much for fiction. Maybe that's why he's still hanging around. Every time the story is retold, the sick punchline to a mean joke, he hears it. It's only a matter of time before all that furious energy gets put to use. And those are a few odd noises in empty rooms. Trevor Henderson is the artist, and I think he still has copies of this book on his website. Um, And I think he's up in Toronto, somewhere in Canada. Um, And he does... uh, like fairs and cons every so often. Um, and I have a couple of prints of his too that are really good. Jackie, do you want to share some of your stories that you picked out? Sure. Uh, this first one is called The Ghost in Grandpa's Attic, and it's by Sam Writing. And uh, there's actually an entire sub subreddit for Sam Writing. It's called r slash Sam Writing Writes. And uh, you can also find his Twitter and Patreon and more stories there. Uh, and we'll see if we have time for the second one. So let's just go with this first one here. When I was a kid, I used to think my grandpa's attic was haunted. My parents couldn't afford a sitter, so whenever they needed a date night, they dropped me off at Grandpa's. I liked spending weekends at his place. He'd take me for burgers and tell me cool stories about his time in the Navy. But I was always real scared of his attic. You see, back when I was six, I was staying over at my Grandpa's one rainy Friday night. He was busy making some dinner, and I'd gotten bored of whatever was on TV, so I decided to have a nosy around his home. His house was one of those with old-style concertina loft ladders, the kind you pulled down to form a little staircase. I'd always wondered what the little dangly thing in the ceiling was for, and when I looked, it was halfway down, almost within reach. My curiosity got the better of me. I jumped as high as I could, managing to get a grip of the cord to pull the ladder down fully. I was amazed my grandpa had a secret room in his house. Six-year-old me thought that was the coolest thing ever. When I ventured up the narrow staircase, I saw all kinds of interesting old junk. There were dusty model planes, old banjos, and a stack of old TV guides. But best of all, there was a pirate chest. At least that's what it looked like to my younger self. Then, just as I was sifting through all kinds of what I imagined was treasure— 
I heard something groan behind me in the darkness. I turned, trembling, to see the old pirate chest making a loud grating sound as if shifting heavily across the wooden floor. I practically jumped down the flimsy concertina ladder, screaming for my grandpa. He came running, initially first thinking I'd fallen and broken a bone. But when I told him what the matter was, he just laughed. I was furious that he didn't believe me as I listened to him try to explain it away. Creaking wood, the wind whistling among loose tiles. He said old houses make noises like that sometimes. Only when he pretended to believe me did I actually calm down. He told me that as long as I didn't go up in the attic, the ghost wouldn't bother me. My parents were furious that he played into my story, thinking that only frightened me more. But after a while, I just sort of forgot about it. I grew up, got older, left town for university in a big city where I ended up staying for work. It had completely slipped my mind. That was until a few days ago when an old friend got in touch via Facebook. You know how it happens. The little friend request pops up. You click their name to see how much they've lost up top or gained around the waist. Alex and I had been pretty close all throughout secondary school, so I accepted the request, sent him a message, and rearranged to go out for a pint to catch up. Turns out he's a writer now, like an actual true crime author. Told me he had wrote a bestseller last year. I was absolutely ecstatic for him. And we chatted about it for a little bit before the conversation drifted onto what he's working on currently. To my amusement, he told me he was writing a book about our hometown. We grew up in this dismal little place in the middle of nowhere, so I wondered what was possibly so interesting about it that could warrant a book being written. He told me it was about something that happened a long time ago, so he wasn't surprised that I didn't remember. But it had rocked our small community. People were shocked and grieving for weeks. The more he told me about it, the more pieces started to come back to me. Flowers on the side of the road, people walking from the church with lit candles. I asked him to jog my memory a bit more. To my horror, he told me that it happened in the autumn of 1977. Two children had gone missing from our hometown and the smaller villages surrounding it. They were declared dead a few days later, but no bodies were ever found, and no suspect was ever arrested. I would have been six years old in 1977. Right around the time, I came to believe that the attic was haunted. There will be no sleep for me tonight. Not when all I can hear, when I turn off the lights, is the desperate groan that old chess made. How when I think about it now, it sounded an awful lot like a frightened little girl. Ooh, that's spoopy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, Grandpa's up to no fucking good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got creepy little girls in the attic. So I'm going to read poems from The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy, which is from Tim Burton. Um, let's see. And that's the first poem I'm going to read for you guys, is The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy. He proposed in the dunes. They were wed by the sea. Their nine-day-long honeymoon was on the Isle of Capri. For their supper, they had one spectacular dish, a simmering stew of mollusks and fish. And while he savored the broth, her bride's heart made a wish. That wish did come true. She gave birth to a baby. But was this little one human? Well, maybe. (laughs) 
Ten fingers, ten toes, he had plumbing and sight. He could hear, he could feel, but normal? Not quite. This unnatural birth, this canker, this blight, was the start and the end and the sum of their plight. She railed at the doctor. He cannot be mine. He smells of the ocean of seaweed and brine. You should count yourself lucky for only last week. I treated a girl with three ears and a beak. That your son is half oyster, you cannot blame me. Have you considered by chance a small home by the sea? Now, knowing what to name him, they just called him Sam, or sometimes that thing that looks like a clam. Rude. Everyone wondered, but no one could tell. When would young oyster boy come out of his shell? When the Thompson quadruplets espied him one day, they called him a bivalve and ran quickly away. <laughs> one spring afternoon, Sam was left in the rain at the southwestern corner of Seaview in Maine. He watched the rain water as it swirled down the drain. His mom on the freeway in the breakdown lane was pounding the dashboard. She couldn't contain the ever-rising grief, frustration, and pain. So sad. <laughs> Really, sweetheart, she said, I don't mean to make fun, but something smells fishy and I think it's our son. (laughs) I don't like to say this, but it must be said. You're blaming our son for your problems in bed. (laughs) (laughs) He tried salves, he tried ointments that turned everything red. He tried potions and lotions and tincture of lead. He ached and he itched and he twitched and he bled. The doctor diagnosed, I can't be quite sure, but the cause of the problem may may also be the cure. They say oysters improve your sexual powers. Perhaps eating your son would help you do it for hours. No. (laughs) He came on tiptoe. He came on the sly. Sweat on his forehead and on his lips. A lie. Son, are you happy? I don't mean to pry, but do you dream of heaven? Have you wanted to die? Oh, no. (laughs) Sam blinked his eyes twice, but made no reply. Dad fingered his knife and loosened his tie. As he picked up his son, Sam dripped on his coat. With the shell to his lips, Sam slipped down his throat. They buried him quickly in the sand by the sea, sighed a prayer, wept a tear, and were back home by three. (laughs) A cross of gray driftwood marked Oyster Boy's grave. Words written in the sand promised Jesus would save. But his memory was lost with one high tide wave. Back home safe in bed, he kissed her and said, Let's give it a whirl. But this time, she whispered, We'll wish for a girl. Oh, no. (laughs) Poor oyster boy. Uh, This one is called Mummy Boy. He wasn't soft and pink with a fat little tummy. He was hard and hollow, a little boy mummy. Tell us, please, doctor, the reason or cause why our bundle of joy is just a bundle of gauze. My diagnosis, he said, for better or worse, is that your son is the result of an old pharaoh's curse. That night, they talked of their son's odd condition. They called him a reject from an archaeological expedition. They thought of some complex scientific explanation, but assumed it was simple supernatural reincarnation. With the other young tots, he he only played twice, an ancient game of virgin sacrifice. (laughs) But the kids ran away, saying, you're not very nice. (laughs) (laughs) Alone and rejected, mummy boy wept, then went to the cabinet where the snack food was kept. He wiped his wet sockets with his mummified sleeves and sat down to a bowl of sugar-frosted tana leaves. One dark, gloomy day from out of the fog appeared a little white mummy dog. For his newfound, wrapped pet, he did so many things, like building a doghouse a la Pyramid of Kings. It was late in the day, just before dark, Mummy Boy took his dog for a walk in the park. 
The park was empty except for a squirrel and a birthday party for a Mexican girl. The boys and girls had all started to play, but noticed that thing that looked like paper mache. Look, it's a piñata, said one of the boys. Let's crack it wide open and get the candy and toys. They took a baseball bat and whacked open his head. Mommy boy fell to the ground. He was finally dead. Inside of his head were no candy or prizes, just a few stray beetles of various sizes. Um, I've chosen to read some very morbid stories about children to you guys. They all die in the end. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the last one is called Anchor Baby. There was a beautiful girl who came from the sea, and there was just one place that she wanted to be, with a man named Walker who played in a band. She would leave the ocean and come onto the land. He was the one that she wanted the most, and she tried everything to capture this ghost. But throughout all their lives, they never connected. She wandered the earth alone and rejected. She tried looking happy. She tried looking tragic. She tried astral projecting, sex, and black magic. Nothing could join them except maybe one thing, just maybe, something to anchor their spirits. They had a baby. But to give birth to the baby, they needed a crane. The umbilical cord was in the form of a chain. It was ugly and gloomy and hard as a kettle. It had no pink skin, just heavy gray metal. The baby that was meant to bring them together just shrouded them both in a cloud of foul weather. So Walker took off to play with the band, and from that day on, he stayed mainly on land. And she was alone with her gray baby anchor, who got so oppressive that it eventually sank her. And she went to the bottom, not fulfilling her wish. It was her and her baby and a few scattered fish. That's upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) These are the bedtime stories I can't read to my son yet. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right, so this one will be a little a little odd. This is the transcript of the Mary Jane 911 call. The following is a transcript of a 911 call made by a young female on January 15, 2001 at 9.45 p.m. And this is written by Six Feet Below on Reddit. The caller had called to report a possible domestic disturbance with her neighbor. Operator, 911, what's your emergency? Caller background noise. I think something happened to my neighbors. I heard someone scream and a gunshot afterwards. Operator, can you give me the address of the location and your name? Caller, yeah, it's redacted. My name is Mary Jane Henderson. Caller, typing. Okay, ma'am, I've dispatched the police and the first responders. Caller, operator, hello? Are you still there? Caller, static. Yes, I'm here. Caller, I think someone just ran from the house. Operator, I need you to stay on the line until the police come. Lock your doors and turn off the lights. Caller, shuffling. I did. I think the person is going back to the house. Operator, typing. Mm. Ma'am, can you see what the suspect looks like? Caller, no, it's too dark. I can see that they're dressed in what looks like black clothes. Operator, typing. Do you see anybody else? Caller, no, I can only see one person. They're standing outside on the front lawn. Caller, whispering, I I think they know I'm watching them. Operator, ma'am, I need you to stay away from the windows. Caller, they look like they got something in their arms. A bundle of clothes, maybe? Caller, oh God, oh my fucking God. Operator, is everything all right? 
Caller, they have their baby. Oh my God. Operator, ma'am, the police are 20 minutes away. Caller, no, 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 no. Static and incoherent mumbles. Operator, ma'am, are you okay? Are you still there? Caller, yes, but I, I think that person might be one of my neighbors. I caught a glimpse of their face in the moonlight. Something's not right about their face. Operator, what do you mean there's something not right about their face? Caller, hysterical and hyperventilating. They, they don't have any features at all. Operator, what do you mean they have no features? Do you mean you can't see their face? Caller, they don't have any fucking eyes, nose, or mouth. It's completely smooth. Operator, typing. The police are just 16 minutes away. Jesus. Caller, a few more people just walked out of the front door. They're all standing there looking at my house. Caller, muffled sobs. They, they just tore the baby to pieces. Please, <laughs> please tell them to hurry. They're all just staring at my house. Jesus. Operator, they're 10 minutes away. Caller, gags. They, they just ate the baby. I think I'm going to be sick. Caller, heavy breathing. I think they're coming this way. Operator, ma'am, you need to lock yourself in a room with a window. Can you do that? Caller, shuffling. Yeah, yeah, I can. Operator, did you find a room? Caller, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm in my bedroom. Caller, glass breaking. I, I think they just broke the glass window to my door. Operator, I need you to find a place to hide until the police have arrived. Caller, grunts. I, I slid behind my wardrobe. I, I can hear them walking around. Operator, ma'am, I need you to be as quiet as possible. Can you hear the sirens? Caller, whispering. Yeah, yeah, I can hear them. Bang! Operator, what happened? Caller, whispering. They're outside my bedroom door. Bang, bang! Operator, ma'am, the police should be there. Caller, sirens. No, let me go, please help! Operator, ma'am, are you there? Ma'am. Caller, struggling and gasping. Caller, policemen enter the house. This is the police, come out with your hands up. Caller, shuffling, footsteps getting closer. Clear. Caller, police off officer picks up the phone. Police officer number one. This place looks like it's been abandoned for years. Police officer number two, radio static. Send in the canine unit. Police officer number one. This doesn't make sense at all. Static. Call ends. The policeman and 911 operator that answered the call still have no idea what occurred that night. Mary Jane Henderson, 23, had gone missing on January 15, 1976. She was presumed dead. A few years later, her remains were discovered by a hiker named John, last name redacted. The remains were scattered inside a circle made of red stone just a mile from her house. Mary Jane's neighbors were never seen or heard from. Police have speculated that the neighbors were in a cult of some kind. They have tried to track down the cult, but to no avail. Mary Jane's case still remains open to this day. There have been reports of gruesome murders in location redacted. Police had stated that these murders may be the work of the cult and that they had dismembered Mary Jane for ritualistic means. Hmm. Wait, the house was abandoned? Mm-hmm. So it was a ghost calling 911? That's so weird. Uh-huh. There's nobody in there. That's gross. They ate the baby. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
not a good day to be a child. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's been a little rough on the kids in this episode. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, I want to read the original Harold from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Ooh, yes. Because after seeing the movie, I'm on a big kick. Okay. So this is this is Harold. When it got hot in the valley, Thomas and Alfred drove their cows up to a cool, green pasture in the mountains to graze. Usually they stayed with the cows for two months. Then they brought them down to the valley again. The work was easy enough, but oh, was it boring. All day, the two men tended their cows. At night, they went back to the tiny hut where they lived. They ate supper and worked in the garden and went to sleep. It was always the same. Then Thomas had an idea that changed everything. Let's make a doll the size of a man, he said. It would be fun to make, and we could put it in the garden to scare the birds. It should look like Harold, Alfred said. Harold was a farmer they both hated. (laughs) They made a doll out of old sacks stuffed with straw. They gave it a pointy nose like Harold's and tiny eyes like his. Then they added dark hair and a twisted frown. Of course, they also gave it Harold's name. Each morning on their way to the pasture, they tied Harold to a pole in the garden to scare away the birds. Each night, they brought him inside so that he wouldn't get ruined if it rained. When they were feeling playful, they would talk to him. One of them might say, how are the vegetables growing today, Harold? Then the other, making believe he was Harold, would answer in a crazy voice, very slowly. (laughs) They would both laugh and laugh, but not Harold. Whenever something went wrong, they took it out on Harold. They would curse at him, even kick or punch him. Sometimes one of them would take their food that they were eating, which they were both sick of, and smear it on the doll's face. How do you like the stew, Harold? They would ask. Well, you better eat it or else. And then the two men would howl with laughter. And then one night, after Thomas had wiped Harold's face with food, Harold grunted. Did you hear that? Alfred asked. It was Harold, Thomas said. I was watching him when it happened. I can't believe it. How could he grunt? Alfred said. He's just a stack of straw. It's not possible. Let's throw him on the fire, Thomas said, and that will be that. Let's not do anything stupid, Alfred said. We don't know what's going on. When we move the cows down, we'll leave him behind. For now, let's just keep an eye on him. So they left Harold sitting in the corner of the hut. They didn't talk to him or take him outside anymore. Now and then the doll grunted, but that was all. After a few days, they decided that there was nothing to be afraid of. Maybe a mouse or some insects had gotten inside Harold and they were making those sounds. So Thomas and Alfred went back to their old ways. Each morning, they put Harold out in the garden, and each night, they brought him into the hut. When they were feeling playful, they joked with him. When they were feeling mean, they treated him as bad as ever. Then one night, Alfred noticed something that frightened him. Harold is growing, he said. I was thinking the same thing, Thomas said. Maybe it's just our imagination, Alfred replied. We have been up here in the mountain for way too long. The next morning, while they were eating... Harold stood up and walked out of the hut. He climbed up on the roof and trotted back and forth like a horse on its hind legs. All day and all night, he trotted like that. In the morning, Harold climbed down and stood in a far corner of the pasture. The men had no idea what to do next. They were afraid. They decided to take the cows down to the valley that same day. When they left, Harold was nowhere in sight. They felt as if they had escaped a great danger and began joking and singing. But when they had gone only a mile or two, they realized that they had forgotten to bring their milking stools. Neither one of them wanted to go back, but the stools would cost a lot to replace. 
There really is nothing to be afraid of, they told one another. After all, what could a doll do? They drew straws to see which one would go back. It was Thomas. I'll catch up with you, he said, and Alfred walked towards the valley. When Alfred came to a rise in the pass, he looked back for Thomas. He did not see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof of the hut again. As Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry in the sun. And that is the Harold story. Love it. Classic. Those men made weird choices. <laughs> was that was that one in the movie? They they use Harold, but they don't like have the same story. Um, there's the the shitty teen kid who's like the bad guy. He uh, lives on a farm where Harold is, and then the shitty teen gets his comeuppance. But it's whack that like it's so it's just like. Very nor like not normal, but just like very tame, very like this is a kid's story. And then all of a sudden at the end, it's like, and then he had skinned the man and he was pulling the skin on the roof to, to dry in the sun. <laughs> Love it. Gross. Super gross. So those are just a couple of little stories to keep everybody up at night. <laughs> um, We will be having a couple of more episodes coming out soon. But in the meantime... Um, you can listen to our Spotify playlist that we put together. We got um, a lot more creepy songs than just the Monster Mash and the Time Warp. So you can be the cool one at the, ho- the Halloween party with all the cool songs. Um, you can find it on Spotify. It's called Sirens Fall Mix 19. And we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, and then, of course, you can find everything at sirensofscream.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and all that. We are at Sirens Podcast on Twitter and at Sirens of Scream on everything else. Um, and then if you have anything you want to uh, share with us or any spooky stories of your own that you'd like to share, um, you can send us an email at sirens at sirensofscream.com. And you can find me at Sierra Houck on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Jackie, where can folks find you? I'm Jackie the Robot on Twitter and Instagram. And Melissa? I'm Melissa Punch on Twitter and Instagram. Um, spooky October, everybody! <laughs> Spoopy! <laughs>